0: Griswold, right? Vacation. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I'm subtle in my humor, aren't I? Um, only I get it most of the time. Welcome to North Shore. Happy Sunday morning. If you're stressed out about uh, this afternoon, just we're going to get done in plenty of time for the Seahawk game. Okay, so just just don't worry about that. <clears throat> um, Yeah, so my name's Mark and we've been in a series, as you know, with Pastor Ken on work. And um, this, it's um, in all you do, right? In all you do um, is what he's been talking about here. And this is the passage from Colossians 317 that I really resonate with. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And speaking of work, I was just in Africa about a little over a month ago, and I'll share some more stories about that in a minute. But I had a chance to, uh, to see some folks that were working, and I just wanted to share this because I think it gives us a little bit of perspective, maybe on some of our jobs um, if we're struggling. This is where you buy sand and gravel, right here those rocks that you see um they're so big i mean you can just tell by the the guy back there they take two or three people to pick up and they turn those into sand and gravel with no machinery this guy here look at the smile on his face he's actually breaking up those rocks with a sledgehammer one rock at a time and we got to engage that with him he actually showed us like where to hit the rock to to break it up easily and um, that's, that's what he does. And then this next slide, this woman, she doesn't look quite as happy. Um, she's got a hammer that she's using uh, to break those rocks up into even smaller rocks. This is not a, a prison camp, my friends. This, this is people going about their daily job, and this is what they're doing. And they're earning less than a dollar a day. So again, it's just perspective, right? Um, thank you for handing out those Bibles. If you need a Bible today, ushers have those, because we are going to dig into the, the scriptures here in a moment. In fact, we're going to discuss the story of Hagar. I'm not talking about the 80s rock star who had a problem with speed limits. <laughs> talking about, thank you. <laughs> like I said, I'm usually the only one that gets my humor, so you guys, I appreciate that. Um, the story of Hagar, my friends, is much deeper than that. It's found in Genesis. Maybe it's not a passage we go to all the time, but I think it has profound implications on our life and certainly our world, even today. I'm gonna give you a little bit of context, though. Instead of starting right off with the passage, I'm gonna go back to chapter 15. God tells Abram, Abraham, but he's called Abram at this time in his life. He has a vision and God's with him, and God takes him outside and points to the sky and says, Abraham, your descendants are gonna be more numerous than the stars in the heaven. Well, that's pretty awesome, because right now, and he recognizes this actually with God, he's like, you know what, I have no heir. I have no children. It's just gonna you know, pass on to someone else in my extended family, but God's like, no. No, I am gonna provide a son your own flesh and blood. Okay. But there's a little detail here that we need to be made aware of. Abraham is in his mid-80s and his wife is in her mid-70s. So if you know anything about biology, they're just a little bit beyond childbearing years, right? But he believes God, that God's gonna do this. But then apparently some time passes and he He forgets this promise, or he thinks God needs a little bit of help to make this happen, right? And so that brings us to chapter 16. If you wanna open your Bibles to chapter 16. Actually, I'm gonna read from the NIV today, but it's similar. So chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar, so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go and be with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. That's a PG um, version of that. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He was with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. Sure, it is. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Huh, we've heard that before, haven't we? Interesting. The angel of the Lord said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Shrek fans out there? His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Birlai-Roi. Roy. is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's powerful. We thank you that there's nothing in there by accident. There's, there's nothing that, that is just superfluous to the story. It all is part of the larger story, God. The larger story that you've written. The larger story that you're still writing on our hearts. God, may we be attentive today. May we hear what you have for us to hear, see what you have for us to see. And may we know, God, that you see us and you hear us and you love us and you're pleased. Thank you, God, so much. Thank you for this season that we're just on the the beginning edge of to, uh, to celebrate. The birth of your son, God, we wait in such anticipation, knowing that he's already come and yet he is coming again in all glory and honor and praise be to him. Thank you, God. Be with us today. Speak to us in your son's name, amen. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna look at the story a little deeper here. Um, But I want you to kind of put yourself in Hagar's sandals. Imagine being a slave to a a couple and the wife comes to you and says, you're gonna be with my husband and provide a child for us. And after you do this, because really what choice do you have, right? You're a slave. You become pregnant. And then maybe you give her the look, right? You know the look. She's already jealous. She's already feeling pretty insecure at this point, right? So she mistreats you, forcing you to flee into the desert. So now you find yourself a young woman, pregnant, alone in a desert, with no extended family to help you. Does it get much worse than this? I don't think so. But then an angel of the Lord appears to you and says go back to your mistress and submit to her. (laughs) What? She kicked me out. She mistreated me. Yeah, I've got a, a bigger story there. You have to go back. Even though she mistreated you, you have to submit to her. Okay, and at the same time, you receive this most amazing promise. And I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. A Jewish commentary was talking about the Torah, which is the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. This is the only mention to any woman in the Torah that her seed will literally be vast and numerous. Pretty significant. And then the angel tells you to name your son Ishmael, which means God hears, or God will listen. For the Lord has heard your misery. Then you give the Lord a name. (laughs) I just love this. She gives him a name, El Roi, which means you are the God who sees me. In your misery and uncertainty, away from everything that's familiar, God hears you. And he sees you. Then 13 years later, Abram turns 100. Right? He probably needs a burden permit for that birthday cake. It's all right. God reminds Abram, thank you. God reminds Abram of his covenant with him and changes his name at this point to Abraham, father of many. And at 100 years old, and Sarai, who is now Sarah, which means princess, I love that, at 90, she becomes pregnant and they have a son, Isaac, together. But then later in the story, chapter 21, Sarah, believe it or not, gets angry again. This time because, well, remember the wild donkey of a young boy? He, uh, he mocks her, okay, and so she kicks both of them out, Ishmael and Hagar. Sends them away. Abraham gave her you know, just one um, skin of, of water and some food because he has compassion on them, but they're out, and they wander in the desert <coughs> until their water runs out. And Hagar puts her son under one of the bushes and goes about a, a bow shot away because she didn't wanna watch her son die. Can you imagine what she must have been feeling at that point? Just letting her son die under a bush, knowing he's gonna be dehydrated, but it's gonna be a slow, agonizing death. And as she sat there, he began to cry and God heard the boy crying. Why? Because that's his name. God hears. And God doesn't forget. It's been 13 years. He's a young boy. God has not forgotten him. And the angel of God called to Hagar and said, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand. For I will make him into a great nation. God hears. You know, much later in the story, in John chapter 4, it's the story of the woman at the well, one of my favorites. I'm not going to go into all the details right now, although I wish I could. But if you know the story, Jesus sees this woman at the well in Samaria and he's a Jewish man. He sees the social and the ethnic barriers surrounding them. He sees her awkward avoidance uh, in discussing her immoral life choices, if you remember that part. He sees her, and yet he is without condemnation. And you know what's cool? She returns to the village and she proclaims, come see a man who told me everything I did. Can this be the Christ? I love that, because you can almost hear the echo of Hagar's words in her words. I have now seen the one who sees me. Can this be the Christ? Oh, yes. My friends, we have a God who sees us today. Does anyone believe that? Okay. Yes. Right where we're at, right where we're sitting right now, he sees Us. He sees our unspoken pain, our fears, and our hopes, and our dreams. But a question I have for us this morning is: how do we see ourselves? How do I see myself? Do you believe your circumstance is too much for the Lord to redeem or to restore? Is your situation with your health or your spouse or your job so complicated, so messed up, so beyond hope that that maybe God's just not willing to intervene here for whatever reason? Do you believe that? Do you believe you are worth God's attention or his intervention? Let me share a story here. Uh, This is my time just a little over a month ago when I was in Rwanda. You know, my work as a missionary often brings me, or a couple times a year, brings me to Africa. And I find that one of the most important aspects of my work is to confront the poverty of the mind. And it ravages so many, many people who are living over there, years of colonialism, slavery, false teachings, witch doctors, and curses, have convinced so many of these people that they can't do anything to improve their lives. That they're cursed and whatever they try to do will fail. So I found that they need a renewed sense of purpose. They need to understand their identity in Christ. We all need to know that, right? We all need that. And they need to be given dignity and hope. And I won't go into all the details here, but one of the, I think, the most powerful things that we do together is we begin to dream. We begin to dream about their families. We begin to dream about their communities. We begin to dream about their churches, how they can have more of an impact with the, with the people that they live with, that surround them, that need their help. And they begin to, to work towards solutions to make that a possibility and to be the, the ones that actually make, make that change. But it begins with a mindset, my friends. It begins with a mindset. And I'm gonna share with a, a story with you right now about Lillian. Lillian's one of the um, women who was there a year and a half ago. So we did the same training a year and a half ago and then just a month ago. So we repeated the training. This is Christoph on the left. I don't know if you remember him. He was here about two years ago. We had a missions week and he came and spoke. He works for a ministry of reconciliation over in Rwanda. Just powerful, powerful work. He's the director there. Um, and that's Lillian and then that's also her with her vegetables and her fruit business that she had. My friends, Lillian was born through the genocide rape of her mother. And in high school, her, her mother came, to, when she was in high school, her mother came to, to Karsa and to Kristoff and said, my daughter is in secondary school, high school, and she's pregnant. I'm trying to find a place that will take care of her because uh, I can't take care of her and her baby. And so Karsa took her in. And they helped raise her baby these, or they helped raise her baby these past six years. So in July 2017, a year and a half ago, she attended this training that we did, and then she shared her story. She came up and she shared her story with this new group of people just about a month ago. And this is what she said. She said, In July 2017, I found myself sitting where you are right now. At first, the teaching didn't make sense. But once I got out in the marketplace, my eyes were opened and I saw the importance of this. After I created a business proposal, I realized how rich I was from the training I received. I sold bananas, potatoes, and cassava. I started with 50,000 Rwandan francs. Don't don't get too excited about that, that's only $56. And increased that to 500,000 Rwandan francs, which is only $560. But it's something, right, significant from 56 to 560. And then I got sick. I despised myself. I laid in bed and was close to death. I was sick for one month and all my vegetables rotted. I had nothing for rent and was going to get kicked out of my living situation. I lost all hope. But over time, I decided to get out of bed. Otherwise, nothing would change, and my life wouldn't amount to anything. Besides, I needed to take care of my daughter. She said, I found one SIM card with about uh, 20,000 Rwandan francs. They do mobile money over there, so you can actually save money on SIM cards on on uh, on your phone, your cell phone. So she had $22 she found on a SIM card. Not much. But she said, I went back to my previous vegetable suppliers. My balances begin to grow again. I am paying rent and putting money into savings. I love my job because it gives me respect and allows me to do what I wanna do and to take care of my daughter. Before, I was ashamed of who I was. But my job gives me purpose and dignity And then she says this the most important thing is our mind, how we think. Fight for what will allow you to move forward. Know your vision, your passions, and how your mind works, and respect the job you do. Imagine being Lillian. Your mother is reminded of her most traumatic experience every time she looks at your face. You're pregnant as a high schooler and you're taken in by a ministry of reconciliation. They become your second parents. Finally, you find a way to become self-sufficient and to have some level of dignity and respect and then your past catches up with you. Your self-contempt overwhelms you and you sink into a pit of despair, but God, but God Gives you a reason to live, your daughter. And it gives you the resolve to start over after losing almost everything. And my friends, I have to admit to you, prior to going to Africa, every single time, I have mixed feelings about that. There's a lot of danger. Um, There's things that can kill you. From viruses to, to elephants, right? Um, the food's different. I, I don't sleep very well when I'm over there. There's there's a ton of spiritual battle, warfare. I don't speak the languages, on and on it goes. I miss my family, but you know what? You know <laughs> you know what? I will go back there a thousand times for people like Lillian, because she's worth it. Sorry. Okay, how do you see yourself? Do you have these self-limiting beliefs where you don't even think God can, can love you? Oh my friends, he loves you so much. How does God, sorry, jeez, I did not do this last service. How? Just watch it. I didn't, okay, so how does God see us? How does God see us? My friends, he knows the rest of your story. He sees our potential, our successes, and our failures, and our faith. I love Psalm 33, 13 through 15. It says, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. I love that. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions all the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds, My God, our God sits enthroned and he sees all of us. Nothing is hidden from our God. In fact, he's seen us from when we were yet unborn. A lot of us, this is our, one of our favorite psalms, 139, right? Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. From before our first steps, God has seen us. And he loves us with an everlasting love. He, he will never leave us nor forsake us. We are his children. We are his workmanship. He sees us as holy and blameless in, in Christ Jesus, amen. Um, and then we are singing this song just, just a little while ago. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. You, I am who you say I am. Yes, I am. I love that. And not only does God see us, but he hears us. I love the word of the psalmist here in, uh, this is just 143, just one psalm, verse 1. He's, and I love David because he doesn't pull any punches. He just says it like it is. His enemies are coming after him. He's like, God, grind their bones to dust. <laughs> wow. Okay? I mean, I just love, he's passionate, and he says it like it is, he cries out to God, he's real with them, and I love this, because in verse one, he says, hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. And then farther down in verse seven, answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. You ever prayed that prayer? Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. And then verse eight. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me, make, make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. And then this um, passage in Zephaniah that that Josh referred to. Zephaniah 317. "The The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And you guys, I believe, I believe this. And if I didn't believe it, I have no, I have no reason to be up here, honestly. Right? No, I I have to rest, trust me, before you hear this message, I'm wrestling with this. Because I I have to ask myself, do I really believe this? Do I really believe that God can see me? Do I really believe that God can hear me? And I was just struggling with this right after I got back from Africa. And I'm going to show you a couple pictures here. When I was in Africa, I could look these people straight in the face. And I could say, you guys have this. You guys, are you going to take this? God is going to use you in your communities. You're going to do this. He's got you. He's got you in his hand, and I, I can lift them up all day and believe for them, and, and, and I do. And I speak truth to them, and I'm excited for what God has for them, even though they're living in very difficult situations. But then I get home to this. <laughs> My porch is falling apart. Um, it's Literally, was, one end was sinking, and it was because the post there was rotting, and... Then the more uh, we peeled back the, the surface, the more uh, dry rot was exposed, right? Now, I, I'm not a carpenter. <laughs> this is totally out of my wheelhouse. And so I come back from Africa. I'm so stoked. God's done amazing things. And I'm believing so much for these people halfway around the world. But this is where I live, right? This is my life. God, can you show up here? That's my question. God, do you hear me? Do you see this? Do you, can you do something? Because it's completely out of, out of my ballpark here. Right, and I had to choose. And it was interesting, a friend here gave me some great perspective. So he's like, Mark, you can hold those difficult things for other people because you don't have to walk it out with them they don't you, they live their lives you don't have to live their lives for them but this is my life now right not only do i have to hold this but i have to live it out i have to i have to go through it i have to trust god with this for myself and for my family and it's funny cuz a couple of our kids you know they just come out on the porch like oh what's going on there you know they don't care it's like whatever i know dad's going to take care of this oh really okay I mean, right? Because I have to carry it. I have to carry it. They don't have to carry it. So, do I believe that God sees me? Do I believe that God hears me? That's the question we have. That's the question that I have. My friends, as I begin to wrap things up here, if we really believed, really believed, that God sees us and hears us in our problems, our struggles, and our pain, the one who saves us, the one who loves us more than we could possibly imagine, the one who wants to uh, have a deep, abiding relationship with us. Yeah, that God. The God who rejoices over us and sings songs over us. My friends, what should our response be? I think there's really just one response. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. That's the posture that Paul tells us to take as Christians. And I love Psalm 100, one through three. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. (laughs) I love that because I can't sing. Maybe some of you can, can relate to that. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I love that. And I believe this with all my heart, you guys, just just as we are called to sing songs that God has put in our hearts, I believe we are his song sung to the ends of the earth as image-bearers, as witnesses of his love, his grace, his mercy his compassion to show his glory. We are, we are his song. About 12 years ago, um, standing up on this stage was, was a pastor from South Africa, Pastor Titus. And I was sitting right over here and this story has stuck with me as you can see um, in a moment. There's a, a slide hopefully coming up. There we go. This is what he, he uh, shared with us, a question. He said, what is the richest place on the planet? And I was back there thinking, okay, it's probably Alaska, right? I mean, just the natural resources. Uh, if you've ever spent any time in Alaska, it's like God must have had his lunch break there when he was creating the, the world. He had a little extra time just to, to work in Alaska, right? It's just, it's amazing. Um, or, no, 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 it's not. It's, um, it's the Middle East, right? All that oil, and, and that's, that's gotta be the richest place on the planet. And then he showed, showed us this. Um, my friends, it's the graveyard. The graveyard. Why? Because so many people go into the graveyard and go into the ground with hopes and dreams unrealized. With books they should have written, in songs that they had to sing, all went into the ground for whatever reason. Mostly fear, I think, right? Inventions that should have been invented, cures of diseases that should have been published that never were. The richest place on the planet is the graveyard. Henry David Thoreau, not a theologian, but a poet, poet he said this, most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. My friends, as I'm standing here right now before you, do not, do not go into the grave with the song still in you. Why? Because we need to hear it. North Shore needs to hear it. This world needs to hear it. This next slide. um actually before you play that sorry i better set it up (laughs) um so this is when i was in rwanda this last month and i i got to the, the place where we were supposed to do this teaching and we were like an hour late and usually in africa it's okay it's like they're you know different time it's no problem but they were all there and they were all attentive they were staring straight at the whiteboard nobody was saying a word it was silent in the room that's what I entered into, right? So it was like, oh boy. Like even here, if you're late, I mean, people are shuffling, and you know, even here, if you don't know one another, like people start talking, there's at least a little bit of something going on. I mean, they were just whoosh, just dialed in. Um, but it was silent. That first day, I shared that same story I just shared with you. And then the last day, five days later, As we're cleaning up, we've set, you know, just, we're all done. We're just cleaning up the room. This is what happened. They were singing. The Holy Spirit filled that room, my friends. I don't even know what they were saying, and it didn't matter because they had a song in their hearts, and they were letting us know what it was. Natasha, as we were leaving, she says this. After the training, she told me this in the car. After the training, you can see how happy they are. They are laughing, and their minds have been changed deeply. Everyone is now singing their own song. What will your song be? What has God put in your heart to share with the world? Whatever the gift, the talent, the ability, and yes, the song. Don't go to the grave. With that still in your heart, we need to hear it. The world needs you and I to show up exactly how he's created us to be. Amen.